and the struggles sometimes that we have at, at the dinner table as family. So um, I'm excited. Let me pray. Abba, Father, I love you, and I thank you for the grace that you give. Um, thank you that each person is here asking for your, your wisdom and your healing to be made very, very real right now. Thank you that faith, hope, and love are real. Um, we love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. All right, here's the story. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they were traveling along, he, Jesus, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Here's a couple comments to kind of guide you in understanding this. Um, when it says that Martha welcomed Jesus into her home, that is a historical reference that very likely Martha's mother and father had died some time ago. It was Martha's home. That would not be stated if her mom and dad are still alive, okay? It is possible that Martha has been mothering her sister and mothering her brother for a long, long time. And when that burden falls on you, year after year, you can be tired. Ladies, you might know what that feels like when you are caring for people and mothering, even when you're not supposed to be the mother you're still mothering, and you bear the burden of that. Meal prep, meal cleanup, everything, all that, that would take to care for a family. I think Martha's tired. I think we need to be careful about how we criticize her or judge her. I think she's tired, and I think she's been mom when she wasn't supposed to be for a long time. All right? Uh, in her desperation, she starts telling Jesus what to do. And, you know, a little bit of weaponizing going on when she says, look, if you really care for me, do what I say. That's not how relationships work. <laughs> okay. If you really care, do what I tell you to do. And you too, Mary, to get up and help me. You've got to be careful with that. I think she's tired. I think she's hurting. I think she's upset. I think she's got one ear on Jesus trying to listen to the teaching like Mary's doing. And she's trying to cook at the same time. I know women must multitask really, really well. I think she's struggling with multitasking. She wants to hear and listen to the teaching, but she's also struggling to serve everybody. Uh, do you realize how many men are in the house? Edie, how many, how many men are in the house? Yeah. Maddie? Two. Two? Probably the disciples too. Okay, because they, they traveled as a group. 
And in basic uh, hospitality custom, Jesus wasn't the only one that, that entered the house. Martha's got a lot to do, okay? And she is very distracted and very burdened. And she's trying to serve, quote unquote, all by myself. She's tired. All right. Now let's look at another story. This is, this is the first supper after something really special that happened. Look at this one. You might not, this might be new information. This might be new teaching on how these two, two teachings come together. Look at this. This is John 12. Therefore, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a dinner there. And Martha was serving. Two stories about Martha serving. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very expensive perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of of his disciples, the one who intended to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the proceeds given to the poor, to the people? Now he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he kept the money box, he used to steal from what was put in it. Therefore, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. What a contrast between these two stories. What happened? What do you guys, what happened? Something's in the middle that moved from Martha serving in one instance in which she's frustrated She's burdened, overburdened. She's distracted, all these things. To the next one where Martha's just serving. And from what, we're, what we imply in the text, there's no complaining. There's no frustration. There's no distraction. What happened? What do you think? Martha was using her gift exclusively in the second instance. It seemed like she was extending herself beyond her gift. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she's going beyond her gifts, beyond a reasonable sense of responsibility. The second instance, uh, at this next supper, it's like she's in the zone and things are going really well. Janice, what do you think? I can tell you're thinking. Anybody else? Yeah, Francis. Yeah, she's certainly seen the grace of Christ in his full capacity, raising her brother. Yep. Maybe it was just like, yep. Yep. Maybe I just need to. Yeah. Some, yeah, yeah, you're getting at it, Branson. There's some big, big things that happen between these two stories. Big things. And they mainly are this, Branson, right here. Number one, because it says in, in chapter 11, verse 5, uniquely that Jesus loved these three people. He loved Martha, he loved Mary, and he loved Lazarus. And um, it, it, it's like um, John was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. And there was a love bond there that seemed to be distinguished above the others. That's identical to the bond of love that was shared between Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Just super, super close. Um, It's the only time you see this description in the New Testament. Did Jesus love everybody? Absolutely. 
but there's a very, very special bond there. Um, corrective teaching, Branson. Jesus literally laid it out for Martha. Uh-uh, Martha, you got this one wrong. You get a bunch right, but you got this wrong. Mary has chosen the good thing. She's made a good decision, and I'm not going to let you take that away from her. In that instance, he is defending and protecting Mary. So Mary is feeling protection. Um, uh, a, a, a little comment about this that's so important. A lot of us, um, if I say flippant, that almost sounds too cheap or too shallow. We're, okay, let me just use it. We're a little flippant with our love. We say, love you, love you, right? But Brian, we will do nothing to defend and protect them. <laughs> when love gets expensive, we're busy. The ability to throw the punch for somebody, the ability to be the sheepdog and to get in between them and danger, oh, wow, that changes everything. When someone says they love you, that's great. It's, it's yes, we want to hear that. But to be defended and to be protected, wow, that changes everything. It's easy to say I love you. It takes it to a whole new level when you defend and you protect and then the resurrection of their brother, Branson, yeah. Tight-knit family. Mom and dad have been dead for some time. And they're, they, they're very, very close. The bond between the three and Jesus is so profound that Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the New Testament, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. Jesus saw heartache. He saw children that were dead. He saw lots of people who were dead or in the death process. He's healed a lot of people. And there's no reference to him crying. Not one. But here he weeps. And the Greek is emphatic. He didn't just sniffle, grab the tissue and dabble his eyes. He's broken. He's weeping, all right? That's what happened. That's the stuff in between where Martha is serving and overwhelmed and frustrated by the whole process to the Martha who's just serving and she just, there's a peace. Now, by the way, John 12, how's that for the first Thanksgiving? Wouldn't that be something to have your dead brother at the table? How cool is that? I mean, this is real Thanksgiving, huh? We've got a lot to be. Do you guys do the meal sharing thing where you're together and we go like, okay, Isaiah, what do you think we're for? And he says some things. And Caroline, your turn. What do you think? Can you imagine doing that at this table? Lazarus, is there anything you want to say? You thankful for anything, Lazarus? You know, what would he say? <laughs> oh, let me tell you what he would say, right? Can you imagine that Thanksgiving meal? First one in the Bible. There it is. Beautiful, beautiful story. All right, let's look at it this way. Let's kind of summarize it. In Luke 10, first supper, or the last supper, prior to Jesus doing these things, Martha has an ownership, high-level ownership. She was serving, distracted. I think she's trying to listen to him and cook at the same time. Uh, Jesus is, her, Martha's questioning his motives. And uh, she's telling Jesus, you make Mary help me. And then Jesus clarifies to her, hey, Martha's made the good choice. Or, excuse me, Mary's made the good choice, the essential choice, and I'm not going to take that from her. I think, I think Mary is learning that the yoke of Jesus is easy and, and his burden is light. He defends, he protects Mary from Martha. <laughs> and then in the John 12 story, 
They made dinner. By the way, who's they? Who's they? Anybody know? It's as Mary or Martha's serving. Who's they? You think things have changed in the house? Because in the first story, it sounds like it was all on Martha's shoulders. But now it says they prepared a meal. And Martha was serving. You know what that tells me? It tells me that even though Jesus corrected Martha and said, hey, look, you're distracted by a whole lot of stuff. Uh, Mary's the one that's really seeing the essential thing. And we're not going to take that away. I think there were some other things said in the background. And Edie, she finally got the help she needed. (laughs) Second meal, she finally got the help. Ladies, it's not right for everything to fall on your shoulders. Okay? And it's okay to remind your husband more than every six months about the stuff that he said he would fix. It's okay to do that. It's okay to ask for help. It's all right. Okay? doesn't need to fall all on you. Martha's serving. Um, As we say to our kids and grandkids, I think Martha was serving with a happy heart, I think is what she was doing. Mary anoints the feet of Jesus with very expensive nard, pure nard, wipes his feet with her hair. Uh, This is considered to be one of the most beautiful acts of worship in all the New Testament. Jesus defends and protects Mary from Judas this time. Jesus theologically interprets her actions as preparation for his burial. Look at this. This is bumping ahead, Matthew 26. It says, now when Jesus was back in Bethany, he's back in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper. He's at a different house. Mary hears that he's, he's in town, in the village, at a different house. She gets the nard that she had, the remainder of the nard, and goes back Finds Simon's house, comes to the house, opens up the alabaster vial of very expensive perfume, and now pours it on his head as he was reclining at the table. So the same Mary, Martha's sister, first anoints his feet and then anoints his head. All right, you ready? Theological pop, pop quiz. What's the significance of anointing the feet of Jesus? What do you think? Anointing the feet. What do the feet represent here? What do you think? Stephen, let me know if someone responds online. If you're watching on the app or on Facebook, please, I need you to engage with us. So, What's the significance of anointing feet and then anointing the head? Absolutely. You get it, Matt. That's it. You nailed it. So um, anointing the feet represents she's acknowledging the sacrificial servant. Jesus as sacrificial servant, anointing his head as king, as king and Lord. And this same woman did both. It's beautiful. Stephen, somebody online. Okay. Um, radical worship comes easily to someone who realizes they're loved, 
defended and protected by Jesus. Okay, can you soak that one up? Radical worship comes easy when you realize that you are loved, defended, and protected by Jesus. Okay, especially in a culture that's pretty dangerous and pretty abusive toward women as well. Okay. Serving without a complaining spirit comes easily to someone who accepts the truthfulness of Jesus' teachings. Comes easy. Yeah. All right. You ready? You're the church. We are this gathering, this humble, simple gathering of people who are called the body of Christ. That's who we are. The spirit is inside of you. These two simple stories. How do we pull this out of their world in the New Testament, first century, into our world today? What are the implications for our relationships with each other, our relationships at home, and our relationships with Jesus? Why does this matter? These two stories and the stuff that happened in between. You're the church. Why does this matter? serve without Jesus as our core, there's always going to be some selfish motive behind it. Whether it's virtue signaling, whether it's I want to feel better about my life, whether it's I need to get this guilt off my chest. Having Jesus at the core of that allows us to serve without complaining. Mm-hmm. allows our spirit to really come alive where we're serving not because we have to, because we're compelled to. Wow. Wow. Would you please say that again? Because that's really, really good. I don't want you guys to miss this. Say it again. When we serve out of the love of Jesus, it's out of a compulsion rather than an obligation. Yeah. I think that's what separates us as Christians from those that serve out of a need to rectify guilt or a need to satisfy some other human fleshly desire. An ego need, virtue signaling. Right. Look at me. Yeah. By the way, just a little comment about the need for control. Okay. Because I know there's nobody who really thrives on control at Christ Church. We don't have those kind of people here. Thank you for smiling. I would be the first. Um, all right, you ready? Why is control so important to us as people? Why? Why does the average person need to be in control? It's a false sense of security. It, it, well, it does create a sense of security, false or real. It creates that idea. Sure. What else? Why do we need? Why do we need? There's so much out of our control. Yeah. Not not a whole lot, right? And, and the more that we feel we're in control of something, it's not it's not just security, but it kind of puts our, our self esteem up, you know, oh look yeah. at us, we have yeah. control. Yeah. And yeah. being able to surrender that is very difficult. Uh, God who is in complete control of yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. There's thank you, Kathy, you're getting at it. There's so much that's chaotic in our lives. Uh, we're out of control in many, many ways. Typically, the need for control is an attempt at ordering chaos. We want to rein things in and we want to get things into a manageable state. And that can be really hard, especially when people are involved. Um, I, I just want you to, to, to maybe see inside the heart of some people, those that is maybe that 
act like they're really tough and they're really control freaky kind of people, be careful because sometimes they're the ones with the biggest wounds. They're the ones broken in their hearts and they're really crying out for help. If we can kind of see it on the backside. And I think Jesus saw that. I don't think he shames Jesus for her need for control. I think he's teaching her, hey, there's a decision here. You need to consider Mary's beat you to it. And I know it's frustrating, but I'm not going to take that away from her. Okay. We all have a need for control. Sure, sure. I can identify with more of that. Yeah, yeah. Right, and they're mad at somebody for not serving. Yeah. You know, because I'm sitting here. You know, it's like somebody walking me and for dinner. Oh, what are you cooking? You know, kind of. And that's what you feel like saying something. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think we, uh, I mean, I I understand the whole thing, and I understand, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, if I had been Martha in that particular situation, I probably would have said, hey, Jesus, could you come sit in the kitchen? So we can all hear it. Amen. And, and everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, are control moves. Absolutely. Now, again, Edie, mom and dad have probably been dead for a long time. She has been bearing the mother burden, I don't know, months, years? Yeah. Long time. I, I think you're right. She's tired. And I think she wants one ear on Jesus, and she's got another ear and an eye on the stove and all that she's trying to do. And by the way, uh, where would your stove be in this house? Outside. Outside. Yeah. All right. So she is, I'm sure she's, she's moving fast, darting back and forth, checking the stove on the outside and dashing back inside, trying to get a glimpse and, and listen. And yeah, she's, she's exhausted. Absolutely. But either way, whether our need for control comes out of pure exhaustion in the most wonderful heart in the world, or there's massive ego problems, either way, Jesus says, hey, I get it. But we're not going to take away the core choice. We're not going to take away. So there's a grace that we've got to be careful about judging Mar- uh, Martha. You're right. We can't judge her. I don't know that you can. You're not trying to control the situation. You're yeah, just yeah, yeah. Somebody to step yeah. yeah. I would say first, Edie, be careful. The word control is not necessarily a bad word. We don't need to put that in the bad category. Yeah, we need control. We need order. We need order. I don't know that you can. I think there's just varying levels of motive behind it. So, Matt, Matt, it's good to see you. Your church attendance has been lacking here, but... <laughs> That's not that bad of a drive, right? I mean, come on. Short commute. Short commute. I think the, I mean, one of the big differences between, like, the two, you know, between Luke and John, and it, it would be, it required the group to change a little bit, too. Not just. Keep going, you're there, right? Like everybody needed to be like, oh, hey, like, more in tune with the other people's needs. Yeah. I see this person is a little exasperated. 
maybe we should step in and help instead of just, you know, trying to do our thing solely. Yeah, look at that. Plural pronoun, Edie. They made dinner. In the first situation, from what we gather, it looks like she was making, and, and that's exhausting. And again, I argue there was a lot of men there. A lot, a lot of people. Joe, and then, and then Chelsea. Yeah, you know, I also kind of see the same problem the Corinthian church had. Paul had this not been before, in that Martha thinks what she's doing is the most important task and the higher task. And probably for good reason, as a first century Jewish woman, cooking the food and the hospitality for the men is job number one. That, that's her Now, job. how in the world, I wonder, did Mary, who also knew that, knew that, make the, right, make the choice to sit and listen to Jesus teach? Yeah. But Martha did not. I think it's because Martha believed wrongly that cooking the food and making the food was the highest, most important thing she could be doing. At that time. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, they came to an understanding later as yeah. they served together, and then Mary honored Jesus again in her own way. Yeah, um, yeah, that's good, Joe. Uh, Chelsea. Yes, yes, yes. And, 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 and thank you. Thank you. She's not concerned that there might be something inappropriate or anything right, like that. What is, Mary, what is Mary doing? What is she acting like, Pam? What is Mary acting like? She's acting like a man. And you don't do that. Yeah. That's the problem. Disciples are males who sit at the feet of the rabbi. Not women. So this is a cultural value that's being turned on its head. And Joe, you're right. In terms of the cultural uh, uh, protocol and expectation, Martha was acting like a woman, and Mary's acting like a man, and that is a problem. Right? But I think it's beautiful that Jesus says, no, she chose right. Like, exactly. 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 And not only is it a right choice, it's essential. It's essential for so. It's beautiful. I see grace all over it. I see grace for Martha, grace for Mary, Andrea. I mean, there, there are those of us sitting in the room who can get really angry when somebody loads the dishwasher incorrectly. And, and what we're talking about here is Jesus coming along and totally upending her whole lifetime, her parents' whole lifetime of cultural understanding. Yes. He's a wrecking ball. She softens her heart. Yeah. If we can't even be nice to people that walk on a wet floor that's mopped. And he is asking her to change everything. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't this beautiful? This is grace. Well, we should be. Yeah. We should be glad for him like that. Oh, yeah, we are. Absolutely. She, she's an amazing lady. And what's beautiful is you almost get, if you're not careful, you get to feel that 
Mar- uh, Mary is the one that gets like the prize, gets the answer, gets the good stuff from Jesus. And we think, well, boy, Martha was put in her spot. No, the next story is Martha gets the help she needs. I think Jesus is aware of the situation. Yeah. Outside, yeah. Cooking. Yeah. But they both got their brother raised back to life. Yes. Yes. And it beautiful. And what's beautiful, Andrew, is that in the John twelve story, Martha's still serving, doing what she's good at doing, and it's a beautiful, not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. 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 She's an amazing lady, and Martha is, or Mary is too. They're both women that model what it means to be a disciple. We follow Jesus by serving and caring for others. And we follow Jesus by sitting at his feet and learning. Absolutely. Someone else, why does this matter and how do we pull it into our world today? Yes, sir. So, so Lazarus, in, so take the second story. When it says they, like, is a man in his own home at that time going to help at all? Not, not really. It's pretty customary that the world of the man is on the outside of the house. The world of the woman is on the inside, even to the point that she has full jurisdiction, even over the male. Yeah, yeah, that would be a cultural expectation. It's her house on the inside. She rules the table. Well, I mean, well then, so because she's the leader of that home, then would he have not an obligation, but like, would he have an obligation, I guess, to help make, help her serve? Not really. Uh-uh. Not the male. No. It's not, she's not out of bounds in asking the male to order the female to help. That actually was in cultural bounds. It really was. Yeah. Martha's not crazy. She's exhausted. She's frustrated. She wants the one ears to Jesus. She wants the good stuff. But the burdens are heavy. And I, I think she's been battling this for years, by the way. This isn't, this isn't the only time... Like, oh my goodness, we're having a bad family day. No. <laughs> she's been bearing this burden for a long, long time. I think she's exhausted. He uses her to teach everybody else. What's that? I said he uses her to teach everybody else too. Like, it's a teaching moment for everybody else. Yeah. In fact, Matthew, um, in chapter 13 of John, what does Jesus do regarding feet? Yes. And even takes a lower action than what Mary did. Yeah. So Jesus is modeling, quite frankly, the good character of Martha by serving and the good character of Mary. Both. Yes, sir. And I think, too, the difference between story one and story two there is that Martha and Mary have both learned to act out of love. Yes. Harking back to the worn out tires, 1 Corinthians 13, and bang and gong and clanging cymbal and all that. It really does make all the difference. If you're acting out of love, everything the changes you can yeah. do what you do and it also goes to show that I love what Andrew said sometimes those of us who aren't spiritually connected feel like we're less than because we're not doing it right or something maybe yeah. well, I, just, I don't hear Jesus talking to me in my head so I must not be uh, connected enough with God and it's not true yeah. we're told that everybody here is a part of the body and each yes. part of the body has got a different role and a different job Martha is very clearly a servant so she's yeah. serving out of her gift, doing what she should be doing. Yeah. She learned to do it through love. 
Yes. Yes. And that is what changed me. Oh, I, 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 think, I think it's amazing. Yeah, Joe, you're getting at it. I think it gets back to this right here. When uh, all that stuff in the middle, the life changes up. Edie? And then we bend and adapt and mature, yeah. Edie, on, on uh, Wednesday nights, we've been digging into the Psalms, and one of the things that's fascinating about Israeli worship, as modeled in the Psalms, is that you get to complain. You get to take your complaints to God. And in fact, uh, bear with this little idea just for a second. Hebrew verbs are really unique. And when you look at the Psalms, David is using imperative verbs. Commands, right? David is telling God what to do. <laughs> to say it plainly, David is telling God what to do in, in the form of an imperative verb. God, you better listen to me. God, you better, you better help me. God, I need you to talk. I need you to speak up. I need you to fight, fight my enemies with me. Come on. He's telling God what to do. And that's okay. We should too. Martha is modeling this, the right thing. Go to Jesus. Absolutely. You move back around, yeah. 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 We're all Marthas. We're all Marys. It's beautiful. Someone else. Why does this matter? The story in Luke reminds me that we can't make our lives as Christians a comparison game. And what Joe was talking about, the idea is that we're uniquely created by God to do something specific, and that word thing doesn't vault us above anyone else. If we are part of the body, the feet are not any superior to the body than the hands are. And yeah, so when you look yeah. at the corrective action that Jesus gave Martha, at some point, probably not back in the week, probably had to give that corrective, a corrective action to Mary. We all have to be disciplined okay. in some way. We, we're all encouraged in some way. Yeah. And we're yeah. All, we all have the same access to Jesus. Yeah. And it's, it, it's how we use our gifts and how we engage with the body, engage with scripture, that allows that access to become a lot more consistent. Um, because none of us are above any other. Yeah. So yeah. What, reading these stories reminds me that it's not a good idea to compare ourselves to somebody else. Not, a, not good at all. Body. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. That is so good. Um, yes. Chronologically speaking, how many people before Martha declared Jesus was Christ? Because, after, because before he even raises Lazarus, she says, I know you are the Christ. 
Yeah, actually very, very few. Andrew, maybe the first guy to kind of get it, Andrew was. Actually few, very few. The centurion soldiers, another, not a lot. Not a lot, yeah. Because, I mean, when, when Lazarus has died, she comes out, she's the one who comes out of the house to meet him. Right, Mary right, stays right. And right. says, if you've been here, you would have lived. But I know that you, God will do whatever yeah. you ask. How's that for faith? Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, John 11, uh, Ed, is, is one of the greatest chapters in all the New Testament. Absolutely. And he pushes her, doesn't he? Do you really believe? Do you believe this? Yes, yeah. I believe. To which she says, I know he'll come for yeah. the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. But then once he says, I am the resurrection, then she says, you are right. Yeah, it's amazing. And Peter gets that late. So yeah, um, she is, she's has tremendous insight. Absolutely. Um, did you know that when you came here this morning, did you notice that all the chairs are really nice and straight? Did you notice that? Is it Nikki? Yeah. Do you know that the, the Lord's Supper has been prepared? And you're going to be able to take the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes. And, uh, and everything's been prepared for you. Coffee was made. All kinds of things have happened. Do you know that? And it was done by someone who remains absolutely silent about the whole process. Just quietly serving with a heart of gratefulness, with a heart of kindness, and it just it just happens. Nobody's riding their case like, come on, you're going to be here, you're going to be here. Nope. Just faithful, quiet, gentle, faithful, loving and serving. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. So it is yet true that radical worship can come easily to someone who believes they're loved and they're defended and they're protected. Chris, yes. Since you said that, I had a question about that. Yes. Um, how do you talk to somebody who may feel like they're loved, but they've been abused or they feel like they've been abandoned? How do you tell them, no, you're defended and Wow. Okay. You, you, you kicked the bear. That's a good one. Your sister just asked a critically important question, and I expect you all to answer it. <laughs> Ready? Go. Own that question. Repetition. Repetition. Okay. What'd you say, Margaret? Repetition. Okay. Good. Repetition. Keep going. How do we answer that? Encouragement. Encouragement. Yes. Support, meet needs. Physical and emotional. Yeah. As much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? How do you meet that need? Yeah. And I, what you and Matt are saying are getting at it. Somebody else? Working alongside Working alongside them, yeah. Which is what happened with, for Martha later. Yeah. Anybody else? Share a testimony of Jesus. Tell your story. Yeah. That's so good, Pam. Yeah, and, yeah. And this is what Jesus yes, yes. Um, Kathy, yes. Kathy, your question is salient because for someone who does have a history of abandonment, a history of abuse, a history of just being marginalized, you know, for whatever reason, we as church members 
can be very guilty of saying, uh, bless you, be filled, be warmed, love you, love you. We say all the church lingo in that nice, we throw out the big three. I love you. We throw that out a lot, you know. And then what happens? We do nothing to functionally demonstrate it. You're never invited to the table. No one helps with your leaves. No one helps you when your car is broken down or whatever the case may be. Um, do you know what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus? What does it mean? To speak words or take action? Both. 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 You can't just use Christian cliché to somebody who's abandoned, Christian cliché to somebody abused, Christian cliché to somebody marginalized and expect that we did the big and good thing for God, you know. Yeah, because... I've, I've had people say that to me. Sure. I mean, just say that they've had people talk to them and say, oh, you know, like, Jesus loves you, and then they need help, and then they're like, well, you know, just pray. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. if, you, if you read the Bible more, then you would feel better, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's super important. I mean, I never thought about... I'm so glad you brought that defended and protected up because I didn't think about that. I think it's very important that we tell people about repetition. Because everybody has somebody in their circle of influence, more than one that's been marginalized, hurt, abused. Right. And just the defended and protected, those are such important words, especially yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. That is so good, yeah. Okay. Let's do this. Um, when you see Jesus... Transform somebody you love, that's life-changing. When you see Jesus Christ transform somebody you love, that's life-changing. Uh, do you think Martha and Mary, their faith, took an upgrade when they saw Lazarus come back to life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, when we see somebody we love transformed by the gospel, everything changes. And we don't need to miss that that really is the essential and good part to understand the gospel and to share that with people, all right? Okay. If you're a Martha, you need the love and grace of Jesus and you need to be defended and protected. If you're a Mary, you need the love and grace of Jesus. You need to be defended and protected. If you're a Lazarus, you need it too. Anybody else? Final comment before we pray. What if you're Judas? What if you're Judas? Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the clock is ticking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't that amazing, Matt? That, you know, Jesus was a part of all the miracles. Do you realize that? Do you realize that Judas probably performed miracles? Has that sunk in? Like he's holding a basket of fish and bread that just, boom, there's fish and bread. And handed it out and there was, boom, there's another basket of fish. 
He, hand, he was a part of miracles. He cast out demons. Wrap your head around that one. He did miracles. He was with Jesus. And yet when it came right down to it, Do you realize, Matt, the name of Jesus has authority and power even in the life of someone who's not born again? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. So, Thursday is Thanksgiving. There's a lot of cooking that needs to be done and pumpkin pies that need to be made the night before. And um, I don't know if you're you're an exclusive turkey family, or if you do ham, or uh, if you are a southerner and you do uh, cornbread dressing, or if you are uh, far more uh, educated and intelligent and you do true stuffing, which is what they do in New England, and we all know that's the right thing to do, and all that stuff. And you have to have, you know, cranberry sauce, you know, the jelly, you have to have that. It's not Thanksgiving without cranberry. You got that. Out of a can? In the shape of a can with the little, yeah, the little dent marks, yeah. But you cut it up and it looks, nobody knows. Thank you, thank you. The burdens are terrible, you know, when you think about it and, and all this stuff. And, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot. Uh, in defense of Martha, and I think Edie, maybe you're the one that alluded to it. You know, it's not fair to be a knuckle-headed guy, put the burden on one poor bedraggled woman or a few of them and make them feed the proverbial army. And then if it's late or if it's not going to suit you to complain about it from the couch. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. You're right, Edie, if all the disciples were hungry and the stomachs were growling or Ain't this place got some food? You know, is there a cheese stick around here somewhere? You know, all these grouchy guys, you know, they're going to all blame the matriarch. They're going to find the matriarch and she's going to get tagged with responsibility. And she can't say, well, I was in the Bible study. You know, no, it's going to get tense at the house. You know, guys, you can't do that. If Jesus modeled washing feet, for heaven's sakes, you can wash some dishes. Okay, you can get up. You can do some stuff. Peel the potatoes. You know, help with the sweet potato pie. All that stuff. You can do that. Hmm. Jesus changes everything. Okay. Um, Christ Church, each of you, you are an object of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Christ Church, you will be exposed to corrective teaching. You will. To the best of my ability on my watch and Stephen's watch, we will defend and protect you. Alan, I feel safe because you're here, brother. <laughs> The gospel is real. The gospel's real. And it can change the people we love. We've got to talk about Jesus. This stuff matters. 
it moves uh, Edie from the theoretical to the practical. Yeah, it does. Okay. So if you are here and you doubt that you're worthy of love, if you are here and you believe your problems are so deep and so complex that truth can't correct them, or if you believe you're not worth fighting for, or if you believe somehow the gospel is for some worthy person, I've got good news for you. You are loved. Your problems can be untangled. Things can be fixed. There's hope. You are worth fighting for. And the gospel is real. It's real for the people you love the most. It's real for you. And it's going to take faith. You don't earn your way to heaven. You believe. So, let's get quiet just for a second. And, and I want you to think about what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Just get quiet just for a minute. Abba, Father, please right now speak to the deep needs that we have. There's a bit of Martha in us. There's a bit of Mary in us. There's a bit of Judas in us. Uh, God, would you please, more than anything, create within us a clean heart, O oh God, and to yield our need for control and to replace it with faith so that we believe that you can clothe a flower, you can feed a bird, that you'll care for us. And that if we get who you really are, we can seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And in the end, Martha will get the help that she needs. In the end, Mary's going to get to show the love that she has for Jesus. And in the end... We're going to see Lazarus smile and say, hey, let me tell you my story. God, we need you right now. You are a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Everything we've ever imagined, everything we ever need is found in you, Jesus. Thank you so much. In your name, amen.